Just a quick note before today's show. While we have transformed our entire platform to respond to the ongoing crisis, increasing our production of both podcast episodes and blogs, we cannot continue without your support. Please consider making a donation or contributing as a volunteer to support our active engagement at this critical time. So I'm from a small ethnic minority group in Myanmar so, uh, that is known as Muramaji. So the term double, double minority I meant was simply means minority within minority. So Myanmar is, you know, ethnically a very diverse country. There are uh, over 130, uh, well, specifically speaking, there are 135 ethnic race, uh, races in Myanmar, which are recognized by the 2008 constitution. Of course, that is a discriminatory list. There are more than that, the, the number. So, so Rakhine is a, an ethnic minority group in, in Myanmar, and Miramaji is an even smaller group, even smaller than a Rohingya groups. So, mm-hmm. by, so I mean. Uh, basically, a double minority means within minorities, uh, minority within minorities. Mm. So yeah, so f- for for my background, I'm from that small minority group, and uh, I uh, worked as uh, as a you know ethnic uh, rights activist. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's brief about me. I work on documenting human rights violations in the context of uh, Rakhine and also Rohingya issues, and that the, that's brief about me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I will. I'm happy to answer if you want to know more. Sure. Can you tell us a bit more about the Miramaji people? Okay. Yeah. So Miramaji are there are over ten thousand population throughout the country, mm-hmm. and they uh, predominantly they they practice Buddhism. The 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 the, the strange thing about the, these people is even though they 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 are a Buddhist group in Myanmar, uh, 
their feature is they have like South Asian feature uh, that is a bit, dis, uh, you know, distinct, mm-hmm. uh, d- distinct. And yeah. So, and uh, for, for their uh, feature and the way they speak and the, the linguistic uh, characteristic and the, the, the way they speak is very much uh, similar to uh, that of Rohingya. Uh, but of course, there are some uh, differences in these two languages, but basically they, they are, you know, similar. And because of their future and the way they speak, they are, you know, discriminated, uh, not just by the government, but also the, the you know, the community uh, living in, in Rakhine. And and also because of the their... The religion they practice, they are on the on that basis. They are also uh, discriminated by larger uh, ethnic group in, in Myanmar. And so, for as far as religion goes, they're they're Buddhist, and the the the, the dominant religious group in Myanmar is also Buddhist. So, in what ways are Miramaji Buddhists discriminated against by Bamar or Rakhine Buddhists? Okay, so what in Rakhine state, there are two, uh, Rakhine and Rohingya are two major, uh, you know, uh, ethnic group in uh, mm-hmm. in Arkan area. So due to uh, the official and the way they speak, we're discriminated by Rakhine community. And on the basis of our religion, we're discriminated by Rohingya, and we experienced some sort of violence as well during mm-hmm. 2012, uh, uh, you know, ethnic conflict, and also in 2017, ethnic conflict as well. Mm, I think there's another very small minority in that region as well, the Maru people. Am I saying that right? Yeah, there are uh, a few other uh, ethnic minority groups, Maru, Tha, Kami, Daina, uh, and Kameh. As well, those are also uh, minority groups. For command, uh, they 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 experience. I think they they experience even severe discrimination, uh, even more severe discrimination than uh, than us because they practice Isl- Islam and mm-hmm. they and uh, because of their you know racial. Uh, um, it's difficult to say, and they're also a very small minority group, and they practice Islam. So on on mm-hmm. the basis of that, even though they are, you know, in the list of uh, recognized ethnic group, they are highly discriminated in in Arkan. Mm. So you described how you're discriminated against by mm-hmm. uh, Bamar Buddhists, Rakhine Buddhists, Rohingya. Um, the being such a small minority group, you kind of get it from all sides. Can you give us some examples in your personal life or maybe some anecdotes from your family or your friends or your community that can describe how this discrimination has manifested? Mm-hmm. So, well, I would say uh, there are two kinds of discrimination. One is institutionalized discrimination and another is, uh, you know, communal and discriminations uh so to start with the you know uh, communal discriminations and there are restrictions uh doing uh some some sort of like business as well let's say uh a miramaji farmer 
uh, might have some forms. Uh, and Rakhine or other, you know, larger ethnic uh, groups may, people from those groups may get into your forms and they can, they can take whatever they want from your forms. You, even if you try to, you know, uh, prohibit them from intruding to your place, but they, they, they won't, care about you and they they might even even bully you if you st stop them so uh, we have those sort of uh social you know uh i would say it's 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 more than just discrimination it's even like violence and uh uh it, also we we if, during the during the conflict as well in 2012 uh maramaji houses in Malku were burned down by Rakhine people uh, and also in 2017 and we faced threat from Rohingya people as well in Mount Butidang area and many people uh, a, a lot of Maramaji people uh, left their their homes in uh, in Mount and so we we have th those sort of discrimination we have some other uh, social discrimination that uh, that I personally face as well. Even at school, I, I have been bullied by uh, a lot of uh, Rakhine friends and even teacher, uh, uh, you know, physically harassed me when I was at, at school. And uh, in terms of institutionalized discrimination, even though my parents, they are citizens, they have national registration card, I don't have it uh, because I... I I was denied for, from uh, citizenships, and uh, and even in, in Miramaji people, even though well in, in Myanmar, uh, um, the the difference is that in Myanmar, if you matriculate it, uh, the admit admittance to a university is determined by the score you get from your matriculation exams. Mm -hmm. So, in in uh, for Maramaji people, even though you get a good score at your ma matriculation exams, you want to go to, uh, you know, to the, to the, to the uh, you know, ma medicine university, or you want to become a doctor, you would be restricted. And and if you want to study something that that on which you can do you can do your own professions and the, the would be some sort of discrimination on that as well. You can't apply for uh, engineering university. You can apply for medicine, uh, university of medicines, and there are some sort of uh, discrimination. And also, we have uh, we have you know uh, travel restriction as well. Even within Rakhine State, if you want to travel from my village, Pamyang, um, uh, to Sutwe, uh, you have you need a lot of uh, document documents from the uh village uh village uh chairman at the time it was not uh administration office administrator village administrator they call at the time like the village chairman you need to ask for documentation from village chairman and also from the police stations and y y the, 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 you need to you also need to bring sense you know your your household document with you, and there are several other documents that you you need just to travel to sit sit away uh, from from my village, and but 
if you want to travel out of the state, uh, you will need even more documents and you would only be allowed just for 45 days. Uh, so which is uh, you know, impossible uh, to, uh, you know, for for you to uh, for us to you know receive medical treatment or, or also to do schooling at uh, in Yango and mm-hmm. yeah to do to get those kind of services is impossible for us so we have those sort of uh, institutional institutionalized mm-hmm. discriminations and mm-hmm. we have um, another threat uh, that is um, I don't know how would you uh, say that uh, whether it's a I don't know how to say that. Whether it's a, uh, I, I'm not quite sure whether it's a, uh, you know, uh, institution, institutionalized discrimination or, or, you know, communal discrimination. Uh, it was in 2017. I, I uh, no, sorry, it was in 2012. When my father, my father is a is a school teacher, and when he was uh, in Mimbia uh, town to withdraw his salary. Uh, he was at the department of uh, you know township education educations, and uh, <clears throat> when he was withdrawing the, his salary, he he was surrounded by a lot of the so-called educated teachers uh, to harm him just to. Uh, even to kill him, you know, just to uh, to say directly. So my father tried to explain, no, I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Buddhist, I'm, I'm a Miramaji, I'm an ethnic, uh, uh, you know, recognized ethnic, uh, from a uh, recognized ethnic group. But they said Miramaji are Kala. And they used the term, uh, you know, Kala is a discriminatory term. Uh, no, you are Kala, whatever, Miramaji is also Kala. And you should not be here and i think i think you can you can feel how how a person would feel in that environment all mm-hmm. these hostile people are surrounded uh, surrounded uh, you know just to uh, around a person and i it's it's my father so i can i can imagine how he would feel and uh, the uh, one lucky thing is that on that precise moment, uh, the husband of a teacher who was working under my father uh, came to the, the department because uh, he needs, you know, some documents from my father just to transfer uh, for for his wife to transfer from uh, my father's school to another place. So, and he was just short, shouting out, out my father's name is uh, somebody is he's here or things like that my father said i'm here so and that guy saved my father from that that place mm-hmm. i can imagine if he didn't turn off i think my father would have been killed so uh, mm-hmm. i think i don't know what sort of discri- uh, uh, I, I don't know how how would you say that whether it's an because it's at the, at the government building and i don't know it's I think it's like we have those kind of threat as well uh, at the time. So, yeah, and there are so many other, uh, you know, socials and institutionalized discriminations. Mm, I mean, I think what's so incredible and fascinating and really devastating in hearing you talk 
is that for one, you're painting this picture of this incredibly complex ethnic and religious diversity that exists within Myanmar. You're not even talking about the whole of Myanmar. You're just talking about one small little section, one little microcosm and what's there. And I think the general picture, and justifiably so, is that the Rohingya are this, have been this, this victim and uh, at the expense of this larger aggressor, which is heaped enormous suffering on their community. And, and that's very true. There's, there's no, uh, definitely there's, there's nothing taking that main headline away. But as you break stories down, you're describing some of the interactions with your community that's a, a double minority and even uh, and, and far smaller in the Ringa community that you're actually facing certain kinds of prejudice and discrimination against the Rohingya who are massively prejudiced and discriminated themselves. And so it, it just kind of brings about this extremely complex and challenging nuance to understand of um, that there's not this black and white or good and bad or aggressor and victim, but there are just all of these different ethnicities that are trying to live together and having their own tensions and having their own privileges and and disadvantages that are occupying the same area and have these historic relationships as well as historic tensions they're working out. But it's just very, very complex. And you can't take away from this region the story that these are the guys that do this and these are the guys that are impacted this way. Yes, that might be true in in a uh, in a basic headline of understanding, but when you break things down, it's so much more complicated and nuanced in all of those different and diverse relationships. And you know, I think like all of us anywhere, not just me and Mar, but all of us anywhere, we are all creatures of privilege in some way, as we're also creatures of victimization in another. We 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 go about the world by being uh, objects of privilege and having our own privilege while also being um, victimized in some ways by those who have more privilege than us. This is part of the human existence and human nature. And, and, but what you're describing in this part of Myanmar is just such a more complicated spin on this. And then on top of that, what the military is trying to do to propagandize and not trying to be a force for unity or solidarity as many governments around the world do, but actually the opposite, actually trying to, to divide and to, um, and, and to do fake news and propaganda and encourage hatred and enmity of different people. So you actually have the government playing not, certainly not a positive role, not even a neutral role, but actually an, an actively harmful role in trying to spread more dissent. I mean, this sounds like a very complicated and challenging situation growing up. Yeah. So, well, uh, what happened in Myanmar is uh, we are experiencing ethnically a patriarchy in, in, in Myanmar. And the, 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 the dominant ethnic uh, oppress the, the smaller ethnic, and the smaller ethnic oppressed even even a smaller ethnic it's very much like a patriarchic and uh i think if everyone in Myanmar, all the ethnics expect the you know equal rights and if they want to uh you know if now people are fighting for federalisms if they and the, for, for the equal rights and equal autonomy i think they all should come together and respect each other's right and I think the communities in, in in Myanmar need to be educated as well. And in the past, um, even during the uh, you know during the uh, democratic uh, times uh, before the military coup, and the 
there is no political representations not just not not just at the union level also at the state level there was no uh, uh political representations for uh minorities and and double minorities uh, in in Myanmar so i think all the ethnics in, in not just in Rakhine all the ethnics throughout the uh, all, all the country should come together uh, and for their uh, rights and well when we talk about the, the rights uh ethnic rights it it also means the you know the respect of rights to, to uh, of other other ethnics as well so and when we uh, come together uh with respect uh of rights and also uh, respect of justice and i think uh, the the problem uh, could be addressed uh, to to uh address uh, to 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 an extent and all we need for the moment is uh you know uh, uh it's like law you know is that that need to be uh you know passed uh, at the you know what the federal charter or whatever uh, you know we need specific law for for the ethnics uh, i mean especially uh, minority groups in in myanmar uh, that uh because well let's say um i want to uh you know demand for i want to voice my ethnic rights at the at the parliament level or you know at the uh, at the you know uh union uh, union level but since uh we cannot expect uh, political representations it's impossible and even uh, let's say even if the you know uh the, the a constitution uh might uh, you know uh, provide a law that every all the ethnic can uh, can uh, you know join the elections and uh, you know uh, the they 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 can be they, they have rights to be elected or whatever whatever uh, you know law uh, is passed I think it's impossible if you don't have enough population. There is, uh, if you don't have a, a constituency where there is, you know, enough uh, populations of your ethnic groups to to represent your ethnic at the parliament. So I think uh, for the uh, policymakers uh, who are working on federal charters and uh, who are working on the uh, constitutions of Myanmar need, uh, you know, some sort of policy for double minority groups, something like quota system or whatever. Uh, I think uh, the there are two parts. Uh, one is the from the from the part of the policymakers uh, of, uh, in terms of the uh, minorities group, and another. Uh, parties like you know the, the ethnic uh, parts like uh, Rakhine and Rohingyas uh, because they all are also discriminated by the uh, uh, majority groups and also by the government and they they need to realize that we are on the same boat and we are on the same page and we need to come together to fight this prejudice and to respect the 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 rights of everyone and. and in, yeah, and also, and not not just ethnically, even individually, we need to respect the 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 rights of everyone, and uh, we should demand for the justice uh, in, 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 of everyone in Myanmar. 
Mm, right. Well, I mean, this has been the story of Myanmar, right, is the, uh, the, the, the different ethnic groups trying to find a way to come together to have some coalition. And the scarred history of Myanmar has been really sadly, tragically, the failure to do so in some ways. It's been the presence of the communists. They've they've definitely splintered a number of ethnic groups before they dissolved in 88. Uh, in other ways, it's been the military itself and how much they've been able to splinter different groups through some of their policies and, and strategies and such. But you're outlining what has what has been the desire and and the hope for so many generations and so many decades that and and even when you go back to the independence era and when England was going to leave their empire and grant independence, that was one of the requisites they called for was that the, the Pinland Conference, that there would be that that they would be able to see some kind of guarantee or evidence of some ethnic coalition that would come together. And sadly, the Pinland Conference was was far from effective, as we've seen historically. And the Karen didn't even sign on to that. And it's just been one big mess of civil war ever since. But you're describing the hope and the goal and the ideal that has been in so many people's hearts in, in Myanmar for, for so long and that we've yet to realize. And so where do you think we are now with that? What, what do you see as the current climate for how these different ethnic groups are able to see, as well as the majority groups as well, especially now, that they're able to see, in your words, that they're in the same boat? To, to what degree do you see progress on that front? And to what degree are you seeing challenges moving ahead? Well, even though we're experiencing a catastrophic uh, situation, we're experiencing a very devastating situations. I think the, the perspective of the people, not just, uh, uh, you know, ethnic minority, but also the majority people have changed. They, they uh, come to realize that they, uh, you know, th those people voice have long been silenced and they, they started to realize that, uh, you know, they are, like on the same boats and i think it's i think it's it's good uh in the bad you know even though the situation is horrible the people the perspective of there is a great momentum in the in the pers perspective of of the people for for the federalisms and for you know respecting the you know the, the ethnic ethnic rights and of course uh you know uh, ethnic uh group leaders are you know dealing with um uh other uh like energy governments and they they are, they are having uh those sort of po uh, political uh discussions on the federalisms uh, but there's there's still uh, some shortcomings there's still some policy need to be addressed and but i think it's still a good a good sign and before the military coup, people uh, didn't even know what the federalism is. People, our voice has long been silenced. You know, ethnic, not just our voice. All the they thinks they might not think that they're privileged, but uh, they, they. The point is that they don't even realize that they're privileged. Actually, they are. And uh, so, one good thing is even. The, the you know perspective of Bama people is now changing, and I think that, that that's a good sign. And it's, I think it's a good start. Uh, because we had a lot of political discussions before the military coup, like NCA and blah blah blah. And 
nothing come you know in, into reality it it was like all on the paper not into the reality and uh, it has been you know like a, a decades just discussing over the federalisms and and people the ethnic uh um you know revolutionary groups have long been fighting over you know they've been fighting uh over seven decades now for for the federalisms and the, the Bama people now started to uh, you know understand how how their uh, initially they didn't even uh, give any attention on this ethnic issue now they are they are trying to uh, to you know see the pictures of how uh, ethnic rights have been viol violated uh, i think it's it's a good sign now and we can uh, we I only see progress in the future, and I have, a, you know, a strong hope, uh, you know, in uh, taking down these military regimes and start a new uh, federal democratic, uh, you know, chapters in in very near future. Mm. It's quite something to hear you say that in one of the darkest and and to many the most hopeless moments of despair that the country has known in some time in terms of the, the stalemate that's going on with the military coup and the military control, the atrocities and human rights violations and airstrikes that are happening every day to say nothing of the rape, torture and arrests and discrimination of ethnic uh, minority communities, that within this climate, you're actually more hopeful than you were during previous years and decades, including the transition when things actually opened up because of the fact that the Bamar majority wasn't really the, the and I, by Bamar majority, I don't mean the, those that are in control of the military or even the NLD, mm. but talking more the majority Bamar population, that you're feeling that they have moved from feeling a skepticism or suspicion of of federal democracy and and what that means, of course, growing up in a climate where there, uh, there there's propaganda about these ethnic communities being terrorist organizations that their own military is preventing them, protecting them from, that they're moving from this mindset to a mindset that federal democracy is actually the only thing that's going to keep them safe, that by ensuring the rights of others, that's a way that their rights are also going to be ensured. And I've talked to many Bamar Buddhists on this platform, on, on the record, that have said they've come to that conclusion directly. They've gone from feeling that they needed a state protecting Burmese Buddhism for them against these other ethnic minorities to feeling that the only way they can be safe is if these other people have their rights assured, their rights are also assured. But that's just something really quite curious to, to just reference and make note of that in this darkest chapter of Myanmar's history is at a time when it sounds like you actually feel more hopeful about the prospects for a federal democracy of different ethnic minorities getting their rights assured than previous eras. Is, is that fair to say? Yes, true. And uh, because, well, people is fundamental in a, in a, in a country. And uh, no matter how bad the regimes are, if the people are united, I think we, we, people will eventually wane. And that, this I'm, you know, strongly convinced. And uh, Initially, yes, right. A majority of uh, people are Bama in Myanmar, and they all thinks that like military is hero, military is uh, protecting uh, them. Uh, military is you know protecting uh, the country from disintegrations and uh, things like that. They have those sort of mindsets. They think that federalism is disintegrations of the union. That's what they uh, initially think. Uh, I, 
initially that's what they thought and now the this perspective has have changed federalism is you know the respecting the rights of uh, ethnics it's like you know giving the promises that they had in the past it's uh, as you mentioned it's the pinlong uh, unions it's the uh, uh, pinlong uh, agreement so keeping the promise is not you know into integrating you know disintegrating the country uh, so and the, since the perspective of the people has changed uh, i think of course we are you know in in the you know dark times so a lot of people have been killed the many villages uh, have been you know on fires and a, a lot of uh, homes have been destroyed of course we and many lives were lost and of course we're experiencing all this you know atrocious act every day but since people of Myanmar are you know determined and they are on the right path i am hopeful that uh, we will win eventually uh, because we never had this sort of momentum in the past even uh, uh, to 1988 uh, you know revolution is not comparable to this momentum i think we we, we there is a huge momentum in the uh in this revolutions of the people against the military uh, regimes and i am convinced that we we're on the right track and we're going to win this mm. mm-hmm. let's talk a little about your own personal journey as well because i, I just can't help but notice that you reference the discrimination, the discriminatory laws that are 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 established in Myanmar are so rigid that a person from your ethnic group cannot leave that region for more than forty five days out of the year to go to other parts of Myanmar. It's just extraordinary. That's that's just awful. As you mentioned, you know, university or travel or medical or family or whatever else to have that kind of restriction is is really just almost like uh, you know being confined to a camp or something. Um, and yet you have not just managed to leave your own region, but you've managed to leave the country. You're pursuing a career of wanting to support human rights and documentation in in Myanmar um, so that you're advocating not just for yourself or your own group, but for the country and communities as a whole. Um, Given the lack of opportunities and the discriminatory nature of the laws that affect you and your community, your journey to where you've gotten to and what you're doing seem quite extraordinary to me. So can you share what exactly you're doing now and what brought you there? Okay. So, well, yes, when I, uh, I matriculated in 2008, let me start from, uh, from that. And, uh, I was in Sutwe, uh, to pursue my higher education, uh, at Sutwe university. And still then I didn't have any, uh, national registration card and and uh, you know i i managed to get my national registration card in 2010 it's a bit earlier than movement project and it's not it's not like uh i got it officially i got it by bribing the immigration officer because i needed it to 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 pursue my master uh, degree to travel to Yangon and uh, we all needed that so and there, there was a ten- tendency in um, Miramaji that they once they need to get an RC card they need to bribe the immigration officer and in 2011 there was a 
I think it was, sorry, it's not in 2011. It was after 2012, after the uh, conflict happened in, in Rakhine, you know, racial conflict happened in Rakhine. And there was a movement project. And that project, uh, uh, one of the project, uh, one of the movement projects, you know, uh, provided uh, Miramaji people with a national registration card. But I, I get my national registration card a little bit earlier. And despite that you have national registration card, if you travel to uh, Yangon, you need extra document from uh you know, from the village administrator and also from the police stations. And uh, and I needed that when I came to Yangon to um, pursue my master's degree. And even even if, uh, the, the point is, even if you are, um, you don't, you didn't need that extra document, once they know that you are Miramaji, they will, uh, you know, uh, take you out of the car and they will start investi investigating. They will make you recite Buddhist pray prayers. It's, it means that Miramaji people should not practice uh, any religion other than Buddhism. Uh, so you need to recite Buddhist prayers at the, uh, you know, immigration uh, checkpoints. And I had those sort of, those sort of, uh, 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 you know those sort of restrictions when I was uh, at my university. You know when I was studying my educations, and uh, still then I didn't work for my uh, communities. And in two thousand, I graduated in two thousand fifteen, and then uh, still uh, uh, you know my the voice of Miramaji people and other ethnic groups in in Rakhine have been. Uh, have not been hard by many people and 2017 uh, crisis happened and my activism started since then uh, so in 2018 and 2019 2020 uh, you know all these times i i've been collaborating with un human rights office documenting uh human rights violations in in rakhine state when the conflict between uh Arkan army and military military broke out uh, i was documenting crimes against humanity in with uh, oachr in in, in rakhine state and also occasionally documenting the plight of rohingya people and i have been doing all this activism uh, activism work and i have been also uh, somehow collaborating with uh, our constituent unions and doing all this uh, all those things and after the military coup, we were like the first group that came out to street. Well, on the same day, uh, there was a big protest led by Ethan Zamong, who is, who is the Minister of Energy now. And there was a big protest. But we are a little bit earlier than their protest. We, I think we came out to street uh, around 10 a.m. in the morning. And uh, it was uh, at um, Ninigong uh, Junctions. And we, we, but we received only only you know limited attentions from the media because our our, our group is very very small, and so since since then we're like the first group that came out to street and in Yangon. I've been I've been protesting. I've been publicly uh, delivering speeches uh, in Sule and doing all these things and the you know the uh, and the, the issue. Uh, you know the the SEC issue warrants against me. I, I I've been safe 
several safe houses running here and there. So thanks to the uh, police and suggestions of my friends and uh, my friends from OACHR, I left the country in April. And uh, yeah, even even before the military uh, coup, there were uh, it was under military uh, an LD government tenure. There there, uh, there were some SB. But you know, always following me, uh, SBR like police from special branch. They they, they normally followed me, uh, though there were no charges against me. Uh, I think they have some sort of suspicions uh, on what, I, because I've been collaborating with uh, our student unions, and I I've been also. Uh, dealing with the victims in, in Arkansas state who have been, uh, you know, uh, affected by the human rights violations. Uh, so they know that uh, they know what I have been doing, but there was no uh, charges against me. But uh, SB, uh, please, were all, they, they would be always mostly in civilian dress. They would be uh, in like following me. Uh, it was before the military coup. So, yeah, I left the country in April. And that that's that's how I, I came here. <laughs> mm, right. Yeah. So tell us a bit about some of the work that you've been doing as part of these student unions and general strike committee that have been very active and and playing this important role. Tell us a bit more about what all these groups are doing right now, two and a half years into the coup. Okay. So I, I think the student group uh after the military coup, I have not been dealing with the uh, student group. Uh, after the military coup, uh, we, we uh, they were you know you know uh, we just uh, happened to uh, you know come up uh, together. I mean, we here means there you know ethnic leaders of, uh, from like Kachin and Kajin. Like we happened to come together and we decided to. Uh, we decided that we should go even more systematic and we should, we should, we, we need, you know, a unified voice from all the ethnic groups. And we, you know, founded, uh, the general strike committee of nationalities. And we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, some, at, at the same day, we adopted some, uh, policy. It's like, uh, our you know goals is like one is to eradicate uh, military uh, you know dictatorship to, uh, when we say dictatorship is any forms of dict- dictatorship not just by military dictatorships uh, because we even experienced you know some sort of democratic dictatorships before the military coup and so so when we say dict- that's why we didn't use the term military before the dictatorship we we say eradicating any sort of dictatorships in, in in Myanmar and also you know establishing federal federal democracy and we have those sort of uh, policy uh, adopted uh, on the same day our committee was fa- founded founded uh, after the coup and then we had you know a series of uh, a protest uh, against the military regimes and you know the, the most most of the and people uh who have been protesting along our our, our ethnic our, our community? Uh, they they have some sort of you know um how, how some sort of like um signs that that represent the ethnic group something like wearing their traditional uh clothes or probably you know carrying their uh 
na national flags or those things things like that so and of course our community was very diverse and and people started to i think it's some some sort of like uh making people realize that Myanmar, like especially Burma people that Myanmar is extremely diverse country and our rights have long been uh you know violated and and it's something like educating people in somehow somehow as well mm, yeah thank you for that and as far as the the your own ethnic group and the activities that you've been doing can you talk about how your ethnic community has been faring since the military coup have what difficulties have they faced and has, is there any resistance force or armed group associated with your people um well actually i would no uh, because Myanmar uh, Miramaji people uh have been it's they are they have you know this strong inferiority in their in their mind they, they think that standing up against any ruling group is is very much like crime because they they have seen those sort of atrocities you know for for many decades and so far i think i'm the like the only person who have been doing this activism work some sometimes uh, criticizing rakhine community for and sometimes criticizing uh, Rohingya groups, sometimes criticizing the military groups. Doing, I think, I think I am the only person, a person in my uh, community. Most of Maramaji people are they are mostly they are uneducated. Another thing is their inferiority is very very strong, and I think it will take time to to heal their inferiority. So so far, we don't have any resistant group, and they are very afraid of founding that sort of uh, group as well. Mm, right. So, in looking at the Maramaji people, this is this is a Buddhist group, a Buddhist ethnic group, in in this part of the world that also spills over into Bangladesh. And of course, before there were formal borders, mm -hmm. people lived in. Um, uh, in, many, in many cases all over Southeast Asia, there were communities that lived across lands before borders came and then borders split up the different groups of people according to their the, the new national identities. And there is a, a longstanding Buddhist community in Bangladesh. But I, I understand that the Barua people are, are connected ethnically with the Maramaji. And there are some very notable um, Barua Buddhists in historically that have played important roles. I mentioned this to you before the interview, one being Deepa Ma, mm -hmm. who studied under Mahasi Sayada and was a teacher of Joseph Goldstein, and the other Munindra, who was associated with all of the great teachers and students and future meditation teachers of the day, uh, and also studied under Sayadji Yubakan and Mahasi Sayada in, in Burma and then spent some time in India and Bodh Gaya. These are very notable names that any meditator listening will know that were members of this Bangladeshi Buddhist community. And so can you talk about your own people, the Maramaji, what relations or connections or or um, other kind of familiarity do you have with some of the Buddhist community in Bangladesh? Do you see yourselves as kind of distant cousins and part of a similar group, or is it closer than that, or is it is it really quite more distant that with 
the borders setting in that these communities have somewhat separated and you don't have as much contact? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, well, according to uh, Rakhine historians and some Bama historian as well, our derivation is from uh, India regions. Uh, since the Bodas time, they, they, they wrote that we, we derived from this region at the time. Bangladesh was part of uh, India. Mm-hmm. So after after the you know Bogdas time or people like Buddhist group in that area area they experience uh, a lot of challenges a lot of threat as well uh, from many other uh, religious group and also we ha- we had those uh, sort of Mago Empire as well due to those sort of threat we we you know left uh, you know we left the the the, the India regions and we came. Uh, close to Arkan Kingdom, uh, it was like on the border of Arkan and India. And uh, of course, there are majority of Brua people live there and some like uh, somewhere, you know, on the side of Arkan. So uh, yes, we are ethnically related. We are, we're like the same, the same ethnic group, but majority of Brua lived in, in Bangladesh, in Chittagong area. And we are, just very uh, small populations were on the side of uh, Arkan kingdoms uh, since then. And so since, you know, the populations and on the side of uh, Bangladesh is very, very big. And there are a lot of uh, both, you know, religiously or, you know, other either politically and some other Social. There are some some uh, public figure in in Bangladesh as well. Deepama, uh, I happened to read her as well. She some uh, some even claim that she she was even like uh, Arahat. She, yeah. she has, you yeah. know high, uh, spiritual enlightenment mm-hmm. uh, as uh, as well. So well, it's 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 it's. Uh, it, uh, I, well, it's something to be proud that, uh, that yeah. there is some someone like that in our ethnic ethnic groups. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, those are very well known and respected names. And so, does your community these days have much to do with that Buddhist community around Chittagong, or have national borders and time just kind of naturally started to separate those apart? Yeah. Uh, yeah. People still uh, think that they they are the same race. Uh, um, Maramaji and Burwa are the same. Uh, uh, so some. Uh, but when we say Maramaji language, we identify ourselves as Burwa. When we uh, communicate with other people uh, in in Myanmar, because we need to speak a different language, either Rakhine or Burma. Rakhine and Burma are you know linguistically very similar. So mm-hmm. we use the term. Maramaji, so and so Maramaji is also uh, the name listed in two thousand. Uh, sorry, the name listed in, in the constitution of so Myanmar. Uh, so we identify as Maramaji as well, and basically Maramaji and Burwa are the same. And some uh, some Burwa people in Bangladesh uh, as well, they themselves identify as Maramaji, but not many. Mm, right. And in terms of Buddhism, in what way does Maramaji Buddhism differ from Bamar Buddhism, which is the majority in the country? Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, we all practice Theravada. 
Buddhisms, even even in Bangla Bangladesh, uh, Burua people they practice Theravada. But historically, there were some uh, there were some evidence that Burua people practice Mahayana Buddhisms. But I assume that Mahayana Buddhism uh, came uh, into you know Burua community only after uh, you know. Only after some time later, when when there was you know ideologically you know re religious ideologically clash between Mahayana and Theravada uh, Buddhisms, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, after after probably Mago Empire, there were uh, there were like you know competition among these two Buddhist branches, uh, especially on the on the India regions. Mm -hmm. So I think since then the the. Uh, at the times, uh, Burua people uh, practiced uh, Mahayana Buddhism for for a certain time, and but I think now even in Bangladesh they're practicing uh, Theravada Buddhisms. Uh, of course, right. even in Theravada, yeah. when we say even in Theravada Buddhism, even in Myanmar, there are still uh, you know there is. There are still some uh, ideas of Mahayana mixed into Theravada sure. Buddhism. And yeah. once once you go to a uh, pagoda, uh, Buddhist uh, pagoda in in Myanmar, you would see some creatures, you know, surrounded by the pagoda, mm -hmm. like uh, Saturday Sunday corner, Saturday corner, and like there would be some some sort of those creatures. It's like these are not from Theravada; these are from Mahayana as well. And there are a lot of those uh, Mahayana ideas, you know, mixed into Theravada Buddhisms. And now I think some educated monks in, in, in Myanmar are, you know, uh, educating on this uh, Mahayana, uh, trying to, you know, refining uh, Buddhisms, uh, Theravada Buddhism. Sure, yeah, and that's true across all of Southeast Asia, even among the Bamar empires, there were, there's evidence of various Hindu as well as Mahayana and then of course the whole animist realm coming into the Buddhism practice practiced by the Bamar as well historically um and there were advisors to the king over the years as well that came from those different backgrounds but in terms of I understand that today both sets of people practice Theravada Buddhism but are is that is the expression or the 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 way that the faith manifests is it uh, are there differences contemporarily in among the Maharaji people as in the Mar Buddhists? Um, well, still, I think they are too attached to some uh, some you know ideas that are inherited from uh, from Mahayana, and it's 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 difficult to convince them is is Mahayana Bod uh, Buddhism. Even the Tripitaka, they there is. Let's say you go to someone and say that it's not from Tripitaka of Theravada Buddhism, it's from Mahayana. They would mm -hmm. not easily accept that mm -hmm. uh, because they're 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 too attached sometimes. And and but when when some when you ask them what a religion do you practice, uh, he would identify that uh, it's Theravada. And I think in Bangladesh is is the same. They would say they are practicing Theravada Buddhism. Uh, still, yeah, they are uh, like some sort of mixture of other ideas as well. 
Mm, right. So, yeah, as we close our interview, I realize that we've been talking quite a bit about more of the political aims of the Maramaji people, as well as just the overall federal democracy in Myanmar and different ethnic minorities, a very serious and important topic. But I also want to make some space for understanding other parts of the Maramaji people as a as another people on this earth and just the curiosity our listeners probably have about um, different aspects of their their culture and society given such a small ethnic minority. And as, as you said yourself, you count yourself as perhaps maybe the only Marmaji person that has transcended from the community and, and has gone internationally to be able to connect with not just other people in Myanmar, but around the world. And so you've become something of a representative. So if we could just learn a bit more about the people and the culture, let's start with food. If you can just tell us something about that would be interesting to our listeners. What If one were to go into a Marmaji home, what kinds of special and unique foods could they find there? Um, well, there are some sort of snacks that they do. And... Mm. Uh, I would say, well, they have, they, they, they're, uh, just to uh, mention one, one snack, it's like, well, we have like a paddy, right? When mm-hmm. paddy started to sprout, the the the, the, the gra- grain in, in that paddy is so sweet. So they, they collect all these grains from, uh, 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 from, the, from the rice and they, they, make snacks it's very much like um loza in 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 rakhine rakhine have some some sort of like loza but it's mm-hmm. similar to that but it's it's different so they have those kind of uh those kind of food as well and they have uh many other snacks as well so in terms of the the you know in in terms of the curry uh, i think there are some distinct uh, curries as well uh, the, uh, from from Rakhine. They have, uh, well, it's it's difficult to describe. They they have like, um, uh, you know, some sort of um, when when is when monsoon season starts. The 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 fish normally uh, there are some sort of. Uh, Tiny fish, you know that, that that are you know easily found in 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 the in the fields. So they, they have different recipe to cooking those sort of food as well. So I they, they call that um uh in, in Maramaji they call that guramas as well. So they have those kind of food as well. And husuak is is very f- famous and gando. So. Those those curries are very famous in Miramaja. I still miss those food. It's been quite a long time that I haven't tried. Uh, I haven't eaten those food. So mm. yeah, the, those are very uh, mm-hmm. distinct from other ethnic groups in, in yeah Rakhine. That's great to know. That's that's great to hear. That is there. Anything else that stands out among Marmaji people or culture or custom that you'd like to take the chance to to share and educate us on now? Um, yes. Uh, well, mm, I think it's uh, pretty pretty much. Well, there we have distinctive culture, as uh, but um, it's, it's my my bad that I just don't come up with um, mm-hmm. with. And we we have 
uh, when I was young, I have seen my grandma smoke smoking. What the way the way she smoked is very much is different. There is very much like a small pot, and the the, the, the there's a pipe uh, connected to the, to this pot, and she she just smoked with this pipe. And I don't know what ingredients she put in in those pot as well. But the, this cash mm -hmm. culture has already been gone. I, I I know that we need to preserve those sort of uh. A culture at least we need to have the record of those uh port as well and we have some other uh customs and traditions that uh uh Miramaji people do but sadly we are losing that because and the point is that even young generation today uh they they think that as doing those sort of uh practice you know exercising those sort of culture is shameful because it, they are different from other majority groups. And mm. even today, uh, most Miramaji people are not speaking Miramaji language as well. And uh -huh. actually, yeah, I myself is not good at speaking Miramaji uh, language, I understand. Uh, so we are losing our culture and I know we need to preserve. And But re recent, uh, we founded Miramaji Culture and Literature com uh, Committee. Uh, but since I need... I needed to, you know, leave the country. I I could not work on on that any anymore. But I'm still um need to figure out on how I could work on you know preserving uh the, their culture and literature. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's very interesting. And you mentioned literature. I I, I seem to remember that Chittagong, uh, the the Buddhists from Chittagong, historically. Uh, have uh, are, are just very famous for their literature, their poetry, their scholarship, uh, going back to the British period when the British Empire was there. So it would make sense that there would also be an appreciation for literature and such in the, among the Marmaji people as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, in terms of the literature and uh, well, before the this Bangladesh region was predominantly Buddhist people. And mm -hmm. they, they they have those sort of literature. So, but after after all these uh, polit things, including Mughal Empire, and after all these things uh, happened, uh, the, you know, the only limited number of uh, Buddhist people remained in, in in that area. So, so the, the some people uh, want. Some people are, you know, inclined to to claim that they, they their literature is like, you know, what uh, Bangladeshi people are using. You know, the literature they're like the same literature, but it's uh, but it's not okay. I I don't think it's is something appropriate to claim. Uh, you know, like that. So we just need to invent another literature because since we speak, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Indo-Aryan language, I think, are creations of a new uh, uh, alphabet. Uh, you know, a new uh, should uh, alphabet should be connected to uh, somehow connected to Bangladeshi alphabets as well. Mm, and so you're saying that there's an issue with trying to figure out the most appropriate written script for Marmaji language. Is that correct? True, true. Yeah, even though uh, we um, we we have, s s 
I don't think uh, the way we speak is similar, but the uh, both uh, you know Burua people uh, may want to uh, you know claim that they the the lit you know the, the these written scripts that uh, the the alphabets that people are using in Bangladesh or you know uh, that they are related to the, those uh, scripts and but it's uh, but it, it's not. Uh, but there might be clashes if they they claim like that. So um, what we think is we need to invent a new a new uh, written script a new alphabets for for our people for our language uh, in order not to in order to prevent uh, our language from uh, you know uh, disappearing. You know because uh, yeah. we're. Otherwise, in long run, we will lose our language as well. Yeah, I mean, you're really painting kind of a sad picture of what of, of life experience in this small minority community, which I'm sure is true for many other small minority communities within Myanmar as well. You don't have equal rights. You you have systematic and institutional prejudice and racism that you're confronted with. You're constantly afraid of being overwhelmed, um, not just by the main majority, but even by groups that are themselves being victimized by the majority, but then are, are, are bigger and more influential than your group. And so they're, they're following that same practice of kind of kicking down the ones who are below them. And then you're also talking about being overwhelmed in terms of a culture, in terms of a language, in terms of an identity and equal rights and everything else. And so you're really painting this this picture of a people that are are trying to survive with access to 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 basic human rights while also trying to maintain their own identity and their own customs uh, things like you know language and food and literature and identity these these are these are no small things and so this is really quite a challenge to right right yeah definitely Mm. Yeah, well, I, I thank you so much for taking the time to educate us on your own life and your own views and experiences and what you're doing now in the post-coup era to try to bring these different ethnic groups together and reach out to Bamar as well, as well as educating us on the Maramaji people. This is, I'm, I'm just really honored that our platform is able to serve in bringing out this information about this ethnic minority to our listeners who are tuning in and getting learning something and getting a bit of something about this small ethnic group and and having a window into their experiences and their aspirations and and their work right now i think that's just fantastic yeah, it's it's my pleasure and i'm uh, i'm also thank you for for having me and you know uh, for providing me a chance to to share my experience and you know my the background of my ethnic I know for a lot of podcast listeners, as soon as the fundraising requests start up, you just kind of zone out or skip ahead till it's over. But I ask that if you're taking the time to listen to our full podcast, that you also take the time to consider our spiel. Some may assume that producing a two-hour episode wouldn't take much more than the conversation itself. But so much more goes into it. In advance of the interview, our content team reviews the biography and relevant works of the upcoming guests, and we discuss the best way to use our limited time together. 
After the interview is completed, the raw audio file is sent to our sound engineer who shapes it into working order. A single episode can take several full days of solid production work in the studio, which is carefully coordinated with our content team to ensure smooth listening. Further edits and post-production magic bring the eventual episode into your ears, along with extensive written descriptions of each interview, which we publish on our blog and social media. Many of these steps require an outlay of funds in some way or another. We hope that each episode informs you about the ongoing crisis, and if you find it of value, we also hope that you might consider supporting our mission. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Refugee Camps, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the Purchasing of Protective Equipment and Medical Supplies, COVID Relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's betterburma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Oh, no, Baba, Baba, no.